0: man. Welcome to Crow Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 277. Jason Lingren is with us as always, and uh, Howdy is back, or Howard Mikowski or Mikowski maybe. Um, but basically, Howdy is how you'll find him online mostly. Uh, he was a couple episodes ago, that would have been 273, where we talked a bit about the world's fairs and what a kind of discombobulated story that doesn't fit reality most of the history we have for that is, and just the weird way they went down. Uh, We've asked Howdy back, talk a bit probably about cultures around the world, things that don't really fit with a narrative that's acceptable and the energies. Um, And so this gives me an opportunity before I get Jason in here. I've been talking that we're shifting ages on the low point of the sun this year in 2020, which is December 21. And I thought I could prove it out. I can't. Um, I, I got Athens and other people who are very good at uh, rig- at looking up details about the sky clock. And I had all these benchmarks of old timers in the 1800s that said the sun was in this degree of this sign at this time. All these markers I thought I could use, I can't do it. To this day, I can't do it. And part of the problem is divisions of the so-called constellations in the Zodiac. Back in the day, everyone's acting as if they're 30 degrees, all of them. And they're not. That's part of the problem, but suffice it to say, we are as sure as we can be that we're about to shift an age or an era, maybe is a better way to say that. How that gets proved out, I'm not there yet, but anyhow, welcome, Jason.
1: Good morning.
0: So uh, we're not that far in front anymore. Um, What's going on with the movie? Anything?
1: Well, the nice lady we're working with actually wants to do some recording with us soon, and uh, after that, we're trying to see when the next round of filming would be which will probably be after the holidays.
0: Okay, well, let's just jump in then. Welcome, howdy.
1: Thanks, guys, for having me back. It's uh, appreciated.
0: So people really appreciated the World's Fairs thing that we just did. And I think part of what they liked was no one was making claims. You know, So many people are out there making claims that just can't be backed up. It's a point of view. But what we did do was point out all these anomalies and things that just show something's not right here. But where do you want to jump in here?
2: Well, yeah, I think that's the best you can do. One of the people who I've come to trust over the years, a man named Richard Rose, he was very clear that you can never find truth. All you can do is find false, drop it and get rid of it. And eventually, when you can't get rid of any more false, what you're left with is the truth. (laughs) And uh, so I kind of try to follow that myself. How much false can you find? And there's lots in history.
0: (laughs) You don't have to look very hard. I would, I would say, um, it's mostly what we see, and it's really no different. People lose track of things like entertainment, and I, you know, I've, I've used this analogy before. If someone knew you, say your best friend, knew you, and you passed away, and 20 years after you were gone, they were going to make a, a biography movie on your life. Would any single scene that your best friend could possibly put together match what actually happened, short of? you know, cell phone video, I guess is a thing now. So that could get it closer to what happened. But for the most part, it would just be a fiction that is aiming to communicate something, but in no way, shape or form did it actually happen in that way. And people lose track that all of history is like that, but it's worse because history is usually written by the victors, which is one side of history. But let's pick a point and, and jump in where I'll, I'll let you pick. Where do you want to jump in?
2: Well, I think I was going to give a small metaphor that maybe tries to tie what we're going to talk about into what's going on now, because we are in such an important time and um, energy space in the world that it's kind of like if it doesn't work for now, you might as well put it off for five years because this is so important. And so, one thing I noticed that it come from a metaphor of what I noticed is happening recently, which combined with a, a from a guy's. Uh, Uh, matt over at quantum of conscious who has a channel and, and my metaphor together is that we've we've experienced a frequency drop in this realm that this realm has literally dropped a frequency and most humans have kind of been tied to the realm they just dropped with it so a lot of people are saying there's all these awakenings happening now and i think it's the opposite what's happened is a number of people haven't dropped and so by comparison, there is a huge gap now between where two people were maybe equal energetically. Now, most of them have dropped. They're still, they're this higher location. They're now like a bird in a tree, which is positive and negative for people. The, the, the negative side of it is they can't communicate anymore. You can't communicate with someone because the, the the gap is so great all of a sudden. The positive thing is now that they're in a tree, they can see so much more of the terrain below them they didn't they didn't see before and if somebody had been like a bird in a tree before now they're in the sky they're seeing tons that they had never seen before and so people i think are also getting just bombarded with information bombarded with knowledge right now and to me this metaphor ties in because when you go back into the ancient past you're looking at a place that had an extremely high level of energy everything that was built and done and structured was built on a different energy level so for us the more we can learn about it the more we're maybe learning about a place we would like to try to return as opposed to what seems to be happening in our realm right now
0: you know there's there's actually some interesting writings on this one of this is i think it's within the light of egypt i've read so many books i lose track but they talk about the pagodas. Everyone's seen the pagodas in Asia. doesn't matter whether you're talking about Japan or China, but in, I think it's the light of Egypt, they give you a calculation method to determine what age, what era that pagoda was built in. And you can do it by the number of eaves. Like, you know how there's like stacked roofs? I don't know mm. if I'm describing this right on a pagoda, but apparently that's all that there was a time when people were, it's claimed very aware of the era, what the ages had been in the past, and those buildings were built to show where. But in terms of what you just said, I'm with you, but I think maybe it's a little more complex. I think some people fell or fell asleep and they came back online. I think some people never really fell. But the example I always use is, everyone knows I use the oldest writings I can get my hands on. And it is not hard to see that even from the late 1800s, just how far the mental abilities of humanity have fallen, the things that were being made, the writing, the, the number of expertise, areas of expertise, people at that period that were educated have it's far beyond. And uh, matter of fact, anyone who even comes close to that now seems like, um, I hate the term Renaissance man, but it seems like someone that's really unique. Look how many abilities this person has. And I would submit that we're playing catch up all day long. Yeah. I
2: would agree fully.
0: Okay, so you wanna you wanna talk a little bit about the eras, or do you wanna jump into some cultures? What do you wanna do?
2: How about we talk with something really interesting, which uh, a lot of people might have on their heads, and that Stonehenge.
0: Okay, um, that's 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 a good one because so many people, of course, have dug up the fact that it was. There's actually images and newsprint uh, showing its construction in the modern era. But go ahead.
2: Yeah. So because this this ties in with the energy uh story so i went to stonehenge the first time in about 2009 2010 and i went there the uh, at night where you can get a special permission where you can actually because now you can't go in and touch the stones anymore right you need these special permissions to do that so i went in checked it out and i mean the site felt dead like it literally felt like the energy was so weak and i couldn't understand why that was and I'd done a lot of work with stone circles and their connection with medicine wheels and Native Indian culture and how to sort of work with them. And I'd never experienced anything dead like this. The next day, I went to Avebury, and, and I almost felt like my legs were on fire when I was around the stones of Avebury. It was so strong. Yeah, then it wasn't until three years later I got my answer. Like you were saying, I'd found that in the 1950s, they had actually dug up every single stone at Stonehenge put it on trucks, took them away, actually took them away from the site, dug up the entire site, but for whatever reason they were digging it up, brought, and now this is the part that's challenging, they brought stones back, and we can't verify, of course, did they bring the same stones back? Did they make copies of the, of the stones back? What stones did they bring back? And then they cemented them in place.
0: <laughs> there, there's ready Creek under Stonehenge, right?
2: Yeah, and so... It made perfect sense why there's no energy at Stonehenge anymore because either, I actually would guess maybe they're not even the original stones because there is some of these photos, particularly when Barack Obama was there in 2014, that you could see like metal underneath the parts of some of the bottom of the stones that, that it looked like it's, it's metal, just metal piecings with, with like a stone covering on top of it. <laughs> so what's the story?
0: Well, I think you're getting into a thing um, that I am very aware of. I don't think we talk about it a lot because most people think it's hocus pocus, but everything that's going on in the world right now is spiritual warfare. And I think what we're touching on here is why would anyone go back and dig up a so-called megalithic site and uh, what would even be the reasons for that? And it turns out um, that energy matters and positive energy is recognized in this world and stomped out. Just like anyone trying to be helpful, uh, even like what Jason and I do here week after week, um, we touch on certain things that it gets noticed and, and things are done to counter or to diminish the effort. It's even gone so far that people, what's the, what's that big Ferris wheel called? The eye, I think.
1: The eye of London.
0: Yeah, people are, have made convincing claims and work to back it up that these are, these are like antennas, the Eiffel Tower, the Space Needle there in, where is it, Washington? Or I forget where it is, Seattle maybe? Yeah. Um, yeah, so they're, they're claiming that these are energy centers. And the thing is, is I think most people who have never been to an energetic place, um, because I know I would have doubted this before, I don't know, I must have been in my late 20s the first time I went to Sedona. And there are places in Sedona, it's undeniable, man. You can't really describe the feeling But there is an energy there that is palpable and other places that I've been. So it seems to me that maybe there was something legit there at some time and they basically killed it, dug it up and replaced it with whatever the hell's sitting there now. But I I just don't know how you prove these things out to to enough people to make a difference.
2: Yeah. And I also had problems with... The way you, two things, the way you walk into Stonehenge, because now you park on one side of the road and you and you walk underneath the, the passageway, and there were all of these steel doors down there that instantly told me, oh, these are going to underground tunnels. So what's under Stonehenge? You know, what's actually under the monument? And when you're actually at the monument itself, there are these like, uh, almost like manhole covers is the best way of describing it. Mm. Just these concrete things just sitting on the ground. And again, well, what are they covering up?
0: <laughs> maybe, they're, maybe they're creating negative energy. They're not using cycles a second, of course. They're using hertz, wouldn't they?
2: Yeah, all I know is it's, it's a really, that's a really good example to, to sort of get into what we might want to talk about today is that the story we have of the ancient world and is not necessarily the ancient world itself. And the only way you can get to know any of these sites and see what, might, what there might be the truth or not truth is you have to go there and inspect them. One by one, every single one of them yourself and test the energy. Like you said, at Sedona, you'll know right away after you've been to a place like that, you'll know if you go somewhere else and it's not there, you'll feel it.
0: Yeah, it almost feels. And um, I've, I've hinted to this over the years, like there was this time when people were much higher, men and women much higher in their abilities, spiritual and otherwise. And that that has to be covered when you're going to take a fall. Because you can't have people that are engaged in taking a fall understand there was some pretty amazing things in the world at certain times. And another thing is there are so many very old texts that I consider verifiable or valuable because of the content at some level, if not verifiable by author, that show, you know how many initiations used to go on with the the stated purpose of creating higher minded men and women. Uh, that contribute something of benefit to the society, e- even even certain ones where the only people excluded was if you were a murderer. And even as a murderer, they'd say, if you go clean up your act for a year, we'll get you in so that you can help society. They claim slaves, children up to a certain age, men and women both didn't matter. Everyone was welcome. And I always say the word wrong, Elysian or Elysian, however mm. said, that was one of them where you can still get these accounts.
2: Yes, the the certainly like you say, a lot of these old initiation rituals, like the kind of things that would have happened in the Great Pyramid or the kind of things that would have happened. At, uh, I found an initiation site at Chichen Itza that probably no one knows. It's kind of off in the middle of nowhere, but it was pretty obvious what it was when I got there. The level of energy is so intense. And if you can just be there even today, so you're 3,000 years later. It's It's one of the things I love going to these places is because it feels like I'm still touching this ancient time. It's like that ancient time of wisdom and knowledge you're talking about isn't totally gone. It's still kind of living on slightly at some of these sites, not at the level it was, but it's still slightly there. And if you can kind of sit down and be quiet enough, you can tap into it. And, and I mean, I've had so many bizarre experiences at these ancient sites that are you can't explain, but they are obviously to do with me Being quiet and the site, you might say, blasting me almost,
0: you know, so many people as the current round of uh, free information on YouTube got started pulling into the early two thousands, I guess, is when we first started to see the video services. Uh, So many people claiming that the pyramids are fake. This is fake. That's fake. But on the face of it, you can see that on some of them, there are real big stones there. And somehow they moved them. But what I noticed is the same thing I noticed about everything, about this death-based system. They always got to introduce death. Oh, a king's body was housed in this massive thing that took Lord knows how long to build and how many people to build it. Um, There's always that death undertone. And to me, that is the complete reciprocal of what likely actually went on there um, and that's true of our world look how ma- look how much of our law and other things it's all based on death. you show up in a courtroom you're summoned. you can only summons the dead then people start to realize oh I'm not I'm not even a living man or a woman here because of the way I've been classified and I'm lost at sea and all this nonsense but at the root of it the common denominator is death. The introduction of death-based ideas. And by the way, I got to get this in. So my wife told me she was watching stuff on TV and she couldn't believe that the MTV, some kind of MTV award show. MTV award show and she had recorded a little bit of it so I could see it. It's all based on the goat. And um, they're, they're literally working openly now that there is an age shift. There's going to be a what you believe in religiously shift coming with it and they are openly touting touting, uh, satan ideas the goat the greatest of all time i think is how they were couching the goat icon but the goat is holding popcorn in his mouth so of course you're talking about capra corn and if you remember back we had dylan on not too long ago to break down the meaning of that word the goat seed but they had bands in the back, like a dj in the background playing a highway to hell or back in black or something like that. The whole thing was an open gearing to the low point of the sun, the idea of Satan and all that the goat had, you know, could represent. And almost everyone was wearing red and black throughout. So we do see a shift, and this is about spiritual concerns and this is about energy, isn't it, Howdy?
2: It is. And it's about uh, one of the great things that the Zen monk that I had spent years with told me was everything you're told by what you might say the system the opposite is true so another example the system is presenting death like you say everywhere you look the presentation but it's all about like the physical death the death of the person well when we go back to what the mystery schools is about the mystery schools would be are totally about death but it's death of the you might say death of the self right death of the fictional egoic consciousness that you think is you so that you can awaken or embody the light of consciousness or the light of awareness, right? So it's another really good example of how they've taken they've taken what's powerful in the ancient world and turned it around to create, instead of something opening, but something fearful and something to be frightened of and something to lock you in conscious-wise. It's, it's a great example.
0: You know, what I notice now uh, that I didn't notice when I was younger, because it was too early to notice, is how generationally... They come at these things. With the MTV award, you can imagine the age of the people taking an interest. So by the time you get up, oh, by the way, there's another program uh, called Euphoria that's about young people and drug abuse and sex and all kinds of things. I think it's running on on one of the HBO-type delivery systems, but I was notified that also in that a person struggling with drug abuse was told that when the change comes you got to change it all. There's new gods you got to believe in. So you can see generationally how they're planting the goat seed to make a flat out pun one to one allegory. Um, so that twenty or thirty years from now it's been so normalized into everything we're surrounded by that people don't even question it. And at some point they begin to forget the things that were naturalized and commonplace where you and I exist here today. Right.
2: Do you want to take that to another site and let's let's do it again at at another one?
0: Okay, I was going to ask you your oh, impressions. go ahead. I was going to ask oh, go you ahead. your impressions of the uh, the pyramids. First of all, do you think sure. they're they're really massive stone things? Do you think there's any facade to it? And I'm guessing uh, you accept that it was initiatory in in its use um, maybe audio frequencies that kind of thing?
2: Well, I can tell you that there's seven large pyramids still in Egypt, and they were, I would say for sure, they're not built by the ancient Egyptians, by the Old Kingdom Egyptians. They were more found and used by them. The largest that are there are from a time so, so long ago. And it's not just the the building quality of them, because, I mean, we could sit here for the next hour and just talk about how these things have impossible building design and impossible mathematics and impossible geometry and, and um, how they could lay. Most people don't know that, for example, the bottom of the king's chamber is laid with almost like a granite that's been turned into like a milk carton or, I mean, an egg carton. It, it, it's So it's got these like dips and holes and it's, so it becomes this giant frequency sound device. And when you are inside of it, it's like you're on, you're in another planet. You've been in there. Oh, I've been in there fifteen, twenty times. Yeah, wow. I've been in almost. I've been in all of them in Egypt. Yeah,
0: that's one of the reasons I don't touch on this is because so many people are so set. Nope, it was for this. Nope, it was for that. Nope, it was a machine making chemicals. Nope, it was and so it just becomes a big argument. And the other problem is is I've never been there. <laughs> So I'm stuck looking at images, but I I think I'm with you. Um, You know, all the allegories, the biblical allegories that we've uncovered. uh, Egypt is is used as the idea of darkness quite a bit in the deeper meanings. Um, You know, when you're out of bondage and and all these other ideas that go into it. But where do you want to jump? You want to let's hit a different culture.
2: We can keep talking about uh, Egypt and Giza if you want. I mean, it's uh,
0: if you have more. I've done very little. Well, that's not true. I've looked at a lot of the the megalithic structures to come to the conclusion that there's some damn big stones. But one of the things that's always got me, and I'll bring it up since you've been there, you're presented with these stone statues. Well, let me back up a little bit. First of all, you're presented with these supposed chambers that are 2,000 years old, and the paint looks like it was put down 20 years ago. And I'm all, come on. You expect me to believe. That this paint that we're looking at is millennia and millennia old. The best pigments we could get now uh, put out in a desert somewhere wouldn't last anything. But then I noticed another thing. You'll see supposed hieroglyphics carved, and it looks like one set is carved with a guy who had palsy and another guy who had a CNC machine with laser bits um, because they're perfect, which leads me into the statue issue. There's, I don't know whether it's supposed to be Ramses or one of the big ones, but everyone will remember as I describe it. There's this big, perfectly carved, unreal how perfectly carved big piece of granite. And if you take it in Photoshop, split the face down the middle, and flip it over, it's identical. And your immediate reaction would be well, a human being can't be this accurate. How was this carved? Meanwhile, you're being told it was carved with copper that needed to be sharpened every five seconds and all this other nonsense. But um, it appears that if that was made in a time so long ago, uh, there were some incredible things going on because I'm not sure they could do that level of accuracy now without like a CNC machine or something.
2: Yeah, you're, you're talking probably about the statue of the Tut- III that's in the Luxor Museum.
0: Could, could be. Um,
2: yeah, when I saw that one, I can tell you that I stared at it for about an hour because, first of all, the level of perfection of the symmetry and the geometry is beyond, it's, it's not even, per- it's beyond perfect. The smoothness of the granite, I, I, I couldn't touch that one, but I've touched statues similar to it. And I mean, if you do touch it, it'll almost be like touching glass. It is so unbelievably smooth. And the third thing that was amazing is that after I stood looking at it for about 30 minutes, I saw it was breathing. The nostrils actually were moving, and the chest was coming up and out. and I I don't think I'm I don't think that's that's <laughs> something happening for me. I think that's me actually tuning into the fact that as I've come to understand ancient Egypt, thanks to uh, my earlier teachers, like uh, who helped me, like John Anthony West and and the folks at the Laboratory of Alternate History in in uh, Moscow and some other these really great early researchers, was that. Everything in ancient Egypt was not just an energetic structure, it was considered, it, it had life, that it was considered to be alive and it was considered to be always presenting a message of some kind of energy to everyone that was around it. It's the reason that you would get the um, the two obelisks would be at the front of every Egypt, ancient Egyptian temple and the obelisks, the job of the obelisk was to act like a tuning fork, that there's actually constantly vibrating and bringing that energy above and below so that as you pass before you pass into the temple, it's almost like you would be getting this perfect cleansing or this almost like a type of purification before you would enter into the temple by going with what was outside of it. And if you notice, if when you're in Egypt now, there is no Egyptian temple left that has both of its obelisks. Every single place has had at least one of them all stolen and taken somewhere else in the world. So that means none of the Egyptian temples still operate and function like they're supposed to.
0: Well, I was going to make a peyote joke about statues breathing, but I'm going to skip that because you've hit on a very important thing, and it's the old hermetic idea. Well, at least we attribute it to as above, so below. But this this idea comes right into the Bible. Um, All these old hermetic ideas were actually in the pre-Renaissance Vatican, which is what produced all that Renaissance art, by the way, which almost all of it is Old Testament, I would point out. But those obelisks They all got snatched, even the one, you know, there's there's an account people can look up. I don't remember. There was a book written about the obelisk that's in St. Peter's Plaza there in the middle of the big sundial. I think they ended up putting a cross on it because people are all, what's this pagan thing doing here? Oh, well, it's got a cross on it now, so it's no longer pagan. But it's clearly there. It's clearly about energy. I think it was clearly built in a time where the meaning of as above, so below really meant something. And I I think it taps into what you're saying about living ideas in a culture where we are surrounded by death base. But anyhow, I think it was about two football fields away. This obelisk was supposedly standing uh, near the Vatican, and they needed to move it roughly two football fields. I don't remember exactly. And it takes it's unreal, the account and the effort it takes to move this obelisk, which was apparently laying on its side and maybe part of it was broken or something. But they put resources you can't imagine, even to the point where they're saying, anyone who has things, we need to do this. The Vatican can just come take your stuff. If you got oxen, we need them. Well, we're going to grab your ox and there's nothing you can do about it. All these things to move it just literally a couple hundred yards. And people can look this up. It is well-documented. The guy who was involved in it, I think he was supposed to be an architect, was very proud that he got the commission. And it is well-cited and well-covered. But it goes to show you who would put that much resource to move an obelisk, a couple football fields, to get it where they want it. And I'll ask you flat out, what's that about, man? Why are all these places like Washington and Cleopatra's Needle and and the obelisk we're talking about, by the way— if I'm not mistaken, comes from Heliopolis, which could be spoken about in English as the city of the sun. Why are these so important? That's a good question. I, I it, it's hard to
2: know for sure, but I, again, they are their energy their energy markers, and I don't think it's not like they just wanted to build your own obelisk because of course you could. It has to be one of these Egyptian ones. So that means something something indicates that in in uh, in Egypt the word was heka, and that means uh, a type of magic and the likelihood that there was there's it's it's not just an obelisk it's an obelisk infused with some kind of alchemic hermetic magic into it and they needed to have that particular one as a as an energy draw for whatever it was they're going to do with it later
0: at that site i'm with you i think it's all about energy and i think there's a lot to be learned there but i'll invite everyone just go simply look at the plaza in front of St. Peter's Basilica. Look at all the statues and that kind of half-horseshoe arc of the building. Those are all representing stations of the sun, uh, myth from myth and from the Bible, or in the Bible but hiding, like Hercules is a good example. Whenever you see the Cleonian lion skin in the club, you know you're looking at Hercules, regardless of what saint they're calling him. But look at some of the aerial shots. It's a sundial. That entire plaza is 100%. About the sun, about echoing ideas of the sun, about tracking the sun, even into the pavement, all around the Heliopolis obelisk that they took from Egypt. And and that's a whole story, too. How in the hell, back in the time of ships and sails, did they even move those things? Uh, I forget the weight of the Heliopolis one, but they're claiming the bottom was broke off it when they moved it the 200 yards I was mentioning.
2: Yeah, and, and that plaza, I know all the stuff you're talking about here at the Vatican, I was just there actually a year ago checking it out. And I think if you follow that line directly from what St. Peter's is now through the obelisk, it, it goes over like six or seven other key points in Rome. It like literally matches like a ton of similar, I think it even goes over the Capitoline Hill. I can't remember when you, when you start moving these, some of these line, these uh, energy lines that, it, that it's, not just, it's not just linking there to the Vatican, it's linking a whole bunch of stuff all throughout all of Rome. And that a takes lot. me to that other thing you guys mentioned a bit earlier, and that was about the copper tools. And I just, I, I have to throw that in before I, f- I forget to, to mention this, because it's, it is important. It was one of the first things when I began my study of, this was 1997, I first started my study of ancient Egypt. Actually, after a, a massive depression, I was uh, so, it was uh, so bad I was going to kill myself, actually. And a television program, a Nova television program on pyramid building came on and it was like... This is what I have to do with the rest of my life. I have to get an answer on not how they built it, but what it was for. Why were they building this? What was the point? And it changed my whole life. And early on, as I started going through, because while I have a history degree, as some of you may know from the last program, uh, this is different. This is archaeology. Old history has a different word, right? Archonology, for some bizarre reason. It's not history. And I didn't have a lot of archaeology, so I had to study it. And as you began studying and you're seeing… These objects, and they're saying, well, they're all built with copper tools over hundreds of years of work. And I was like, no, they're not. And once I finally got on site, once I finally started going to Egypt, and you go to places like Abu Sir where they have these drill holes. And I mean, they're obvious drill holes with the drill rotation marks in it into solid granite. And like you can't make that with a copper tool it's impossible or there's these beautiful stones right near the uh, the valley in the sphinx temple at giza that are again granite and cut like with s curves. so so it's and they're perfectly smooth i mean they are again it's like like you're tailing like a glass tabletop how smooth they are or places where basalt and granite has been like literally it looks like laser cuts that have gone through it and it didn't take a genius to say well anyone who says that you could do this with copper tools is either is either lying or they're they're stupid. I don't know which one it is because it's obvious that can't be the answer.
1: And is that just because the copper would be too soft to cut the stone?
2: It's not only that it's too soft. You couldn't make that kind of you would have a you could have maybe get a little bit of cutting, but you get pot marks, right? Or you get you get um, imperfections in what you're doing over time. These, I mean, this is like it's like glass. The sarcophagus box, which, as we're saying, is not a box for a dead king, the box in the Pyramid of of Yunus at Saqqara is, yeah, it's like glass, and this is granite. And as far as I know, a guy by the name of Christopher Dunn, he was the machinist back in the 90s, uh, a machine expert who tried to explain how these things would be done today and he's kind of said if i want to make some of these cuts to granite there's only like one or two machines in the world today that can do it they need diamond shaped drills it's going to take us uh, days and days of cuts to be able to get the kind of smoothness and the perfection of the of the angles and everything you see here so as an expert he was able to say without without these modern machines and there's only like i think there's only two or three of them in the world you can't do this
0: I actually read the the books you're citing by Dunn and others like decades ago when they first came out. But of course, at the same time, I was still reading UFO books, I think. Um, But the point is they were even running on TV. Oh, by the way, before I forget, this shows one of the purposes of, of staged wars, too. Right. When the supposed Islamic spring came. Of course, the museum was robbed, right? Um, and right. during that, all the rules changed. Now you can't take pictures. Now you can't do all this. We're taking all these really valuable things off display. Same thing went on in when I was in the Marine Corps during the first Gulf War. They said they were guarding a museum, and that got robbed. And, of course, anyone who knows anything knows that the highest that we're aware of, masters of the sky clock, were the Chaldeans. So you're back there to that kind of benchmark where as far back as we can possibly see or know about everything that moved forward. But there were TV shows like ancient aliens showing these amazing, and this is granite we're talking about compound curved, almost looks like a boat propeller, that kind of compound curves. And they're, they're passing it off as a vase or something, or like a a paperweight or an ashtray. It's called
2: a schist plate in the, in the Egyptian museum
0: unreal, but that's where reading the done stuff is great, because here's a man who had a background in this kind of thing, and he said, we couldn't pull it off. So how did they pull it off? And of course, that's when the lies all surface. Well, they were doing it with Q-tips, you know, it's like, come on. But how much direct experience do you have with the stuff you'll find in Mexico and South America, those kind of temples? Um, I spent a lot of time reading about the ideas that I could get my hands on from people that are still there, indigenous peoples. Uh, They make claims that those are representational calendars, and the reason that those step pyramids narrow is because time, the speed of time increases as you go up. All kinds of interesting claims. Do you know anything about this?
2: I sure do. I've been uh, all through Mexico. That was about 20 years ago. I haven't been through Peru and Bolivia, so I don't know if I'll try to not talk too much about that part of the world. Um, But we can go into Mexico in in great detail because, again, I, I think it's important that You have to have been there to have felt the energy to, as well as all of the other base stuff that you can read out of a book or read out of an internet or something. Before we get there, how about I show you one last sort of a little wild story for you just to get the people thinking about what did these ancients maybe know, okay? So this is one little short, quick story, and then we'll move on to where you want to go with Mexico. And this is all speculation, but this is on one of my last trips to Egypt, I was walking out. Uh, near the second pyramid, near the there's a, an area out there that I'd like to go to. That's a nice, quiet, meditative spot. No one bothers you there. It's always quiet. To, in, in by some mastaba tombs. And as I got to this place, there were three guys, uh, three soldiers, standing there with machine guns. Now, normally, I can I have a pretty good way of how to. I know a little Arabic, and I can know what to say to kind of keep give me my space from people. And, and as soon as I took a step, they pointed the machine guns at me, and they're ready to shoot. And I got the message. Okay, I better get the hell out of here. Two days later, I was down in Luxor, and I asked a friend uh, who lives in Luxor, who's who's, um, an Egyptian guy, who's who's very connected to what's going on. I asked him, I told him about my story, and he said, oh, yeah, I heard about this. They think they found a time travel device down one of the shafts. And at the time you were there, there were members of the Egyptian government and and, um, the U.S. embassy and whatever. And they were trying to figure out, should they try to use it where it is now, or do they think they can move it to a different location?
0: Whoa. This is this is where I start to logically have problems with things because if someone could manipulate time in any way, wouldn't it really be game over? Wouldn't all this kind of inching forward into things be non-existent because you could always check the outcome of anything um, and retool it immediately? Uh, it just seems like to me that's a bridge too far. Could be. All I know is that was
2: that was the story I got, and I'm not saying it's true or not. I'm just saying. These are the kind of stories, though, that when you're in egypt, come come to you from the local people. Um, the local people are very, still very aware that there's so much under whatever we see above the ground is one thing. What's below the ground is almost twice as much.
0: Well, look what they do, though. you know, they always have Dr. Howie myas um, or whatever his name is, um, that they trot out oh, for yeah. national. yeah, and and one of the things you notice, is this has to be one of the richest supposed archaeological places. They're claiming there's 800 million places that we could dig that we're waiting to dig, and they only let like select places in. But what I did is I started paying attention to what universities and what countries they were coming from. And it seemed like it was just a repeat, like insider places that had some kind of an agreement were the ones let in, and they were going to toe the party line. Because anyone could go in there and rip to shreds. a matter of fact, it's gotten so bad. Now that you talked about a time machine, everyone's going to think of Stargate. I think that's an 80s movie. I don't know. Maybe it's early 90s. But it's an older movie now. And in that, anyone who's looked into the Egyptian ideas will know the name Budge. There was a guy named Budge who went at the hieroglyphs. And many people who were not accepting the mainstream narrative said Budge was a lot closer to what this stuff actually meant. And they, they do a double reverse in the movie Stargate. They say, oh, you must be reading that budge nonsense. Um, you should be reading. And then he cites the mainstream source. Um, so you can tell it's, it's just, it's so controlled. And anything that controlled, of course, they're hiding a narrative. And for my part, and I'll be honest with you, Hadi, I think they're simply covering up a time when humans were much higher, much more in tune with science based on the natural world um, to the point where when you're faced with things like, oh, look, this is a 200-ton stone that's cut perfectly square. How the hell did they move it? That's a problem for the ages, isn't it? How did they move it? A lot of common sense people will try to apply common sense. Well, they cut it right where it sits. That's a good common sense answer, but in some cases, we can be reasonably sure that they weren't cut right where they sit. And it always reminds me of a very old Tibetan Tolku text that I had. Unfortunately, I don't have it now. I didn't realize at the time it would be important. There was a claim from the Tibetans that they could line up in a triangle form, monks, Tibetan monks with their horns and their throat singing. And I forget how it was. The instruments are in one phalanx of the triangle. And they pointed it. They said they could move an object of any size using basically cymatic vibration. And coming where I have, that's why I feel uh, so many of these sites are directly relating to energy directly relating in some way, shape, or form to cymatics, which is a catch-all, right? <laughs> Everything vibrates. But I think that's one of the biggest things we've lost. And if I had to stab a point of view that I can't back up in any possible way, <laughs> as I, su- I suspect the moving of the stones and a lot of other things is directly relatable to cymatics. Or if you go up to, uh, what's the place in Peru there? I know you haven't been there, but it almost looks like those rocks were melted together. It's incredible the size of the stones and how closely they've been fit. Oh, you mean you mean Pumapunku or? Yeah, places like that. It's not Pumapunku. It's the other one up in the, the sky there, up on the mountaintop. Oh, Machu Picchu. Machu Picchu. Or, or maybe Saxi Woman. I'm not sure which one. You're yeah, even down in the city, even down in the big main city, there's still walls where it yep. looks like they basically just melted the stones together. I'll give you one story that is verifiable. This is from my own personal
2: life, and this was… I study a lot of the uh, stone circles here in Scandinavia, where I live. There are hundreds of them, and the local population knows nothing about them. They're, they're, they think of them as Viking graves, and they, they actually stay away from them. You know, they they, they 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 when they could still travel, they would travel to England, but they won't take the 20 minutes down their house and go. You know, see the one that's down the street. And there's this these group of stones. I don't want to say where they are. But there's one just off in the distance, and there's an older man I got to know. He was in his 70s at the time who lived in the area, and, and I showed him all the stones. And one stone circle was very specifically – it was out of the way, and we've kind of – I've never – I've shown very few people where it is because I want to keep it pure, you might say. Whenever he gets a bad back like, – I mean, like a bad back and he, and he can't walk, he goes to this – makes it to the stone circle. He stands there for 30 minutes, and his back is fine for weeks. And wow. it's, like, guaranteed he doesn't have to do anything else but go to these go to these stones and stand there for about 20 or 30 minutes and his back is like literally fixed but it's obviously not fixed long term you know another month later it'll come back and he has to go and do it again but it's it gives him constantly this period of time of health
0: that would kind of point to why they would take the time to make a fake Stonehenge um, because wow. here, here's a person recognizes the old energy center and the cymatic, the frequencies of vibration help heal his back. Well, anyone who goes to Stonehenge, you said it yourself, feels dead. Um, and by the way, there's tunnels underneath producing dark energy or Lord knows what. One more thing about Stonehenge, when you go during the
2: days, because during the day you're not allowed to be at the Stones, and they have the roadway set up that you come towards the Stones and it's like, the road pushes you towards the right, and almost every single person walks around Stonehenge counterclockwise. And something the native medicine men I'd been with that talked about it was how important when you work with the native medicine wheel is before you start your work in the wheel, you should walk once around it clockwise, in a sense, turning it on, following the sun and acknowledging the the presence of the stones and then when you were done you would walk once counterclockwise to sort of turn off the energies a bit you might say and leave it. So I realized everyone going to Stonehenge without knowing it is is also turning off the energy symbolically by the way they're walking around it. And I remember mm. I did the opposite. I was the only one who walked around clockwise and it was like it was it was weird. It's like the more
0: I walked around it, the stronger I got. So for a lot of people I think their eyes start to glaze over but when you begin to look into the as above so below idea, you begin to accept on a level that you're waiting to confirm, which in some cases I've been able to, um, how energy really works and how things like he's describing, could there be something to it after all think of something simple, like, Oh, you're told that these indigenous peoples did a rain dance. Oh, those silly backward people. Really? Those people were less competent than you are. I would suggest they're more competent than you are because they were good food, breathing natural air. We're not surrounded by every frequency known to man at this time. So why were they spending their time doing the rain dance? And here's another thing. Has anyone, and what I do is I always use nature. Has anyone noticed that when it just starts to rain, all the worms come out, it's not flooded yet. So you can't make the argument that the ground got so saturated, the worms had to bail. And I read an account of a guy doing a study that said it's the pitter-patter of the raindrops hitting the ground, those resonances, that vibration that let the worms know, hey man, it's going to flood and they all come out. I'm just saying, uh, there's something to all this stuff and we have to kind of break our bounds and it's not easy because everyone wants to hold on to common sense. And I'm not suggesting you, you chuck common sense, but you've got to go at it in a different way to start to consider these ideas. Because I think when you tell most people, if you walk counterclockwise, um, that's the antithesis of what would help here. They don't understand how that could even be possible. Yep.
1: I can't agree more. Yep. Now, before we leave Egypt, time travel device? <laughs> what kind of claims could they possibly be made Let me just my story there? I'm
2: throwing in, Jason. Just let to, me, I'm let not me my I agree page. with it.
0: It's just a story.
1: Oh, I was just wondering what the claims actually were, because I can't be the only person who's like, now, hang on just a minute here. <laughs>
0: Let me jump in on this again. Um, Time travel per se, uh, I just don't accept it. But could there be a way to get a view of things that have not yet happened or have already happened? Those are things that I'm willing to consider. But when I see the world as it is now and see how things are implemented generationally, like I just described, how here we go, man, they're going to normalize the idea of the Satan thing, and that's going to become good and the color black is going to be normalized as as a spiritual endeavor. And you can see the push beginning now as we go into the low point of the sun, which will be associated with Capricorn. If any of this has to do with Aquarius, which I can't prove yet, that also will have to do with similar things and Saturn and all the things that relate. I'm just saying, man, I think people can see where I'm coming from. Let me be specific. If there was a time machine, why would you need to bother, right? Why would you need to normalize anything? Or spend a century or a half a century encoding things into movie to get people's minds where you want them kind of pre-primed and used to these ideas where if they were confronted with them all at once, it would be shocking and they would reject it. All that would be, there'd be no need for it because you could simply look at outcomes and, and things like that. And that's, that's what I'm saying.
2: I would say from my own experience, because I've had some experiences of parallel realities. So it's possible there's something like that where you have, there's a thousand possible choices. I can't become the quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, but I could do one of a whole bunch of other 1,000 things. And knowing what the potentials are for anyone, anything, any country, any group, you can try to try to move it to something that, that can happen as opposed to trying to push to something that for some reason within the makeup of this, this dream state can't happen, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, I've, I've thought about these very things, too. So um, if you go through really old accounts that are far more acceptable than the stuff we get published today, the idea would be that you have free will here and every possibility will, can and will work itself out. And this will comprise ages of time and ups and downs and all these things we experience. So I'd ask the simple question, if everything's going to get worked out here one way or another, then why would there need to be parallels doing the other things that we decided not to do? I don't know. As far as the time travel thing, it seems like that's the common sense breaker there. It'd be one thing to be able to view things, but to actually somehow manipulate time in some way, that would be the ultimate Saturn thing, wouldn't it? Since Saturn is Kronos and we're coming into the age of Saturn. But think of all the things we're talking about where clearly people more in tune with the natural world could do some pretty amazing things. I mean, just go to Peru and look at the walls no one in the world could pull that off as far as i know right now so how in the heck did they well it's clear they had i guess we'd call it technology but they had the ability to do things that we would almost consider magical and i would point out that it's not it's only magical when when it's so surprising you can't understand it when you understand how a thing is done it ceases to be magical my point being How would it be that those people, if they had a time machine, didn't come forward and see the world going to hell and try to fix it or something?
2: Yeah, and maybe I can leave one teaser then, as we're getting close to the end of the first hour as you're talking about Mexico. Uh, In the site of Teotihuacan, they have one of the strangest things at the giant city of Teotihuacan is the amount of these giant sheets of mica that you will find underneath various uh, temple floors at the site. And they're 90 feet square, so 90 square foot sheets of mica, and they're not from Mexico; they come from Brazil. So they moved the. And mica is a fairly brittle stone, and they're transporting it 2,000 miles, and then placing it under the floor. So they can't say it's ornamental. You can't say it's to be seen because you won't. And you're wondering, well, what is mica, right? Well, mica has two really interesting properties. One, from a what you might call a psychic sense, psychics would say it's a way of seeing into realms of divination and seeing into other realities okay on a scientific level mica has a uh, how's it a high high electrical resistance and opaqueness to fast neutrons in a sense it acts like a almost like a nuclear reaction moderator so are the ancients putting things like mica underneath their floors and able to access tremendous amounts of energy for whatever purpose we don't know but perhaps some of the building that's done is done from things like this that just on our regular conscious thinking level, common sense says, well, they couldn't have been doing that. That's That, that would be beyond their capabilities. And, and like you kind of have to start, when you look at the sites, you start wondering, we don't really know what their capabilities were
0: yeah i've I've actually i know exactly what you're talking about there's also some tunnels apparently that were just lined with it um and i I forget how many hundreds of miles they were claiming it had to come from but clearly you know I, i think to me if we if you get back to thinking of the elemental world as water air fire earth you're starting to get closer to probably how people actually did science back in the day and it was in step with nature And it seems for all intents and purposes, what we would consider some pretty magical things, because we don't understand them, they could accomplish. And I'll say it again, go look at those damn walls in Peru. How? You know, I've never seen any explanation that even starts to become sensible of how something like that could be done. But I'm guessing we're pretty close here, Jason.
1: We are. And uh, there's something I'd like to address here so that we can take it into hour two. You had mentioned about the twin pillars in Egypt being a tuning fork. And do you think that's one of the reasons among many that the Freemasons still use that concept in their temples and such today?
2: It has to be. So many of these things are taken from the way things used to be long ago. So perhaps maybe they don't maybe not many fully understand it anymore. Maybe they just think it's some sort of balancing principle, but it it has to do if they can if they can make them energetic then you would be creating an energetic sound or an energetic vibrational note of some kind that even if you're not aware of it your body the energy body will pick up right
0: well i'll tell you what for so much of this to be considered by people they really do have to start to get to the crux of the as below as above so below ideas energy cymatics the states the possible states of what a human being could be and i' I'll, I'll add another thing as we close up here i was reading an account oh god i don't even know for sure what it was but Uh, It must have been the one that was the book that was showing uh, Hermeticism and Platoism entering the Vatican a couple hundred years before the Renaissance and really steering everything from behind the scenes in a way that's decidedly nothing to do with Christianity per se, and almost all of it related to the Old Testament of the Bible. There was a claim that all those statues, that those dudes were viewing those statues that could hold energy, and I don't want to say the words because it's going to give them the wrong, but almost like a demon, that kind of idea, but not so kind of cut and dry blunt, that all those statues were viewed as something you could imbue and that's a bit ironic when you look at scripture where it's saying no graven images and no, you know, everyone knows no no idols. I think all those statues would fit either one of those definitions and then jump over to Islam. If you look at all the Islamic art, and that's coming to be, I don't know, what is it, 900s, 800s, 600s, I forget, when Islam started to supposedly come online, you will find they don't draw I guess early examples, you might find fish and a couple things, but for the most part, you find geometry as the be all and end all of the art, because you don't try to mimic what God made, I guess, as part of the idea, but it does relate to the Bible about graven images. And for that matter, why do statues not matter anymore? Like where, where I live here in Rhode Island, you can find some pretty amazing statues just in the cemeteries carved from stone angels and things. I mean, it's mind boggling the people who made these things, but also a lot of cast monuments. They just pulled one down. Christopher Columbus is no longer welcome <laughs> in in Rhode Island. They're pulling down 200-year-old statues, so they're scrubbing that. Point is, why did we stop making all that stuff? I guess we could call this the We're Guessing episode. But Anyhow, uh, we'll be back in hour or two, and we're going to d- jump into a lot of things. Uh, As always, the only real crow site is crrow w seven 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 radiocom So I guess I'll wrap it up here, and I hope you join us on the other side with Howdy. And we're going to touch on a lot more things and maybe try to zero in a little bit more on the ages. I'm very interested in that. And although I have no doubt in my mind that I can demonstrate the language and everything is queuing up to Air Ideas, I still apparently have no idea a way to demonstrate it. And I know a lot of people are going to say, well, it's this or that. Don't write me emails telling me it's this or that. Prove it. Show something we can hang our hats on. Because just because we choose to believe this explanation, it's the Eastern Ascendant. No, it's not. It's behind the spring equinox. No, it's not. It's behind the fault. No, uh, not going to those places anymore. We need some way to demonstrate it. But having said that. I'd like to wish you all a happy, healthy, and what I consider to be an end to this era in December. A couple weeks away here. There it is, man. Cheers.